thanks for choosing this BJSN podcast to listen to Emma Stokes. Emma's the president of the World Confederation for Physical Therapy. She's a terrific advocate for physiotherapy broadly and hails from Dublin, where she's at Trinity College. I'm really looking forward to this chat, Emma. Thanks a lot for taking the call. I'm delighted to be uh, chatting with you, Karim. Thank you for the invitation. And this is a chat about not clinical solutions, but about leadership, about the profession of physical therapy, and really how to make the world a better place. And I think you do that very well as the president of WCPT. You've a prominent face of WCPT, and I think that's necessary. What have been the key steps in your own career development? I had a fantastic four years as an undergraduate in Trinity College, and I'm back here now on the faculty. And if the truth be told, I probably spent a lot more of my four years with the Harriers and the Athletic Club than I did in the physiotherapy department. But nevertheless, I did come out qualified as a physiotherapist. And I learned a huge amount in that time um, as an undergraduate, not just about physiotherapy, but about all sorts of other aspects of uh, participating in a club and a society. And then I got a fantastic job in St. James's Hospital, um, which is one of our teaching hospitals. And I was really, really lucky in that first job um, because I had some fantastic role models and had a real opportunity to develop my research career. Um, and I, I took a, started doing a research master's degree then. So I became a member of the Irish Society of Chartered Physiotherapists. And that was hugely, hugely influential in my um, in my career and, and my personal development. I think sometimes with volunteering, people think it's all about what they're the effort they're going to give to the organisation. And what I often say to people is, you get so much more back. You get so much more in terms of learning, and you get so much more in terms of fun and friendships and networks. But also, I was really, I was really lucky. I've, I've through my working life and my volunteering role with the society, I have been exposed to fantastic role models. And when I finished my PhD, I was really, I was, I was curious about, um, I guess, learning some more. And so I did a master's in management science with a focus on business administration. And it was an executive master's degree. So I was able to work with um, 24 other students from very, very different organizations and to learn a huge amount about management science and, you know, leadership through the experiences of a variety of different organizations. And so that has been really helpful in terms of, I guess, bringing those skills and that knowledge to the various different roles I've subsequently taken. And in that management course, there was a lot about leadership. What were specific examples of what you learned? What surprised you? I guess, first of all, I was surprised that you could learn about leadership. And, um, you know, I, I think if we if we look around the world at physiotherapy organizations where, and, and indeed many other organizations, there's a, a much greater focus on on actually um, unpacking leadership development and working with um, with with in our case students, but also people in their over the course of their career to understand that there are a lot of contexts, there are a lot of characteristics there are a lot of uh, aspects of leadership that can be learned. And I, I suppose when I went into that course, I thought you were born a leader or you weren't born a leader. And, and what that cor- course taught me was that, in fact, there's an awful lot about leadership that you can learn, um, both formally and informally. What sort of things can you learn about leadership, Emma? Well, I guess you can you can learn a lot about how the leadership styles. That's one of the things that you can learn about. You can learn about how successful leaders the strategies that they have employed to be to be successful leaders. So it's not about changing who you are, but it's about perhaps becoming a little bit more intentional uh, about how you behave when you're in a leadership role. Um, it's also about, I think, very much understanding that you you 
you don't want to change yourself. You have to be yourself. Uh, you have, but to do that, you have to understand yourself. So what I've, what I learned in that program, what we've brought to, to this, uh, to our, our teaching program with our students is we start by, by saying that if you, if you don't understand yourself and you don't understand how you interact with other people, it's very hard to, to then be able to work and to develop an understanding of how other people behave. And, you know, leadership is about a lot of the time bringing people on a journey and understanding and putting yourself into their shoes to understand how helping people along that journey um, is is important. So, in other words, you know, I understand where I want an organization to go or a committee to go, but it's making sure that you understand how other people that you're interacting with see that journey or, 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 or how they feel about that journey. So understanding yourself and having you know, the whole concept of emotional intelligence and being self-aware enough to understand your strengths and to, to understand that the aspects of your behavior that could be perhaps very challenging. That's, I guess, one aspect of leadership. It's also, I suppose, understanding organizational change and or uh, the context in which you lead. And really interestingly, I guess a lot of the, um, Literature now is, is also about um, uh, recognizing that leadership is not um, a position in an organization or not just a position in an organization. That, in fact, um, this notion that we should be embracing is this concept of leadership being a frame of mind and leading wherever you are. And so equipping um, students and early career uh, physiotherapists with leadership skills and understanding more about uh, organizational change and, and how networks and influence is as important as equipping the person, if you like, on the top of the hierarchy. And so that's a really interesting concept that I certainly wouldn't have been familiar about. I think it, it's really an empowering concept, this notion that even if I am, you know, a very junior person in an organization, if, if I have a very good network, then I am very I have a, the capacity to be very influential and I have the capacity to work with people who want to implement change. And, and leadership is a lot about change. Of course, it's, it's about, you know, recognizing now that the only certainty we have in a lot of cases is that change will always be there and change is is, is probably going to be incremental. There's, you know, it's going to be a constant feature of our working lives. So understanding it and embracing it and recognizing the challenges of it and learning to to find out more about why change is happening and how change is happening and learning from the good experiences as well as the perhaps less positive experiences is something that's going to be very important. So I, those were those were concepts and frameworks that I learned in that program, which I suppose I never understood that they could be learned. So for me, it was really, really eye opening to to recognize that I could get better at this and that, in fact, it's a constant journey. And so for me now, my whole focus on sort of my continuing professional development is around leadership and about governance and about advocacy. And I, as a naturally theoretical learner, I'm a lot more comfortable if I have frameworks in which I can understand um, how this all works. So it's a bit like evidence-based practice. It's about understanding what does the research tell us about this and how then can we take that and practice it. So that was a really, for me, that was fascinating. And I want to bring it back to a physio in a private practice. Let's say there are four or five physios and maybe some other health professionals, you know, a very common setting. I fear that some of those folks listening will think, well, leadership is someone with a thousand people under them but I hear that you are speaking to those physios. Absolutely I mean if, if, if you want to implement any change in a practice or you want to set the direction for a practice or you want to you know 
understand the vision of your practice. It's not just uh, one person doing that. It has to be collective ownership of that. And why is that important? Well, a practice of four or five or six different uh, individuals and different professions, if it's a mix of, you know, PTs and OTs and, uh, you know, maybe perhaps a, a nurse and a doctor, very much like a primary care team. You know, you are there's there's a reason why that that practice, that business exists. It's to provide a service to patients and clients. So understanding what might be unique about your practice in a very busy perhaps practice space where there's lots of competition. That's all about signaling um, what it is that what is it about this practice that's unique? What is it that we offer that's a little different? How do we do that together? How are we better collectively? You know, what is our collective offering versus our individual professional offering? So, um, so as I say, leadership is not about big organizations. Leadership, a lot of the time, is about making sure that you bring people along on a journey. And indeed, I guess for, for many, many people, leadership is not just about what they do at work. For, for an awful lot of people, the expression of leadership comes in their, in their professional capacity. So you might be the owner of a private practice, but you might also be recognized as a leading, um, a physiotherapist in your field. And, and that's, that's a different set of, um, perspectives. And what is it about clinical leadership that you're providing? And how is it that you're doing that? And how, why is that important to the patient? Um, services that you deliver. So you might be, your, your role might be also around um, signaling the, the new changes that are happening in, in clinical practice for your uh, professional group. If you work in a specific area, for instance, if you're a sports physiotherapist or if you're a physiotherapist who works in women's health, you know, how do you demonstrate your uh, professional leadership uh, in that domain? And, and <clears throat> That's, uh, I guess, another opportunity for people uh, to, to develop leadership skills and to be clear that they are signaling um, the, the maybe the unique role that physiotherapists bring to that particular um, client group. So there's lots of different ways that leadership can express itself. Um, and it's not just linked to one person leading a very large organization. Quite honest, quite often the, the, the opportunities are everyday leadership. And there's a very interesting uh, YouTube video um, which talks about lollipop leadership and this idea that we make leadership about the the very key um you know the the people that everyone recognizes globally in terms of leadership and actually everyday leadership is about um influencing somebody helping somebody to be to somebody to be a better version of themselves um and sometimes we we don't acknowledge when somebody does that for us and therefore we don't that person doesn't ever realize the impact that they've had on the on, on our lives and so it's a great YouTube video to have a look at. And it's it's a technique I use in some of my talks when when we ask people to say, you know, who are who are the leaders that you admire? And people talk about, you know, perhaps um, Malala or Mary Robinson or Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or, you know, Nelson Mandela. And that makes leadership beyond our everyday experience. And then I ask them to close their eyes and, and imagine somebody who has um help them to be a better version of themselves, somebody who they've seen uh, a behavior and, and, and have said, I want to be like that person. Um, and, and then I ask them, well, have, have they ever told the person that that was something that was a positive experience for them? And so many times people haven't told them and therefore there's an awful lot of unacknowledged leadership that I think we just need to tap into more. And you're saying that sports physios, for example, might have a role outside their practice in a sporting, a particular sport, or there's also 
the physio organisation, lots of volunteer opportunities within physio organisations. Absolutely. So, I mean, one example of, of you know, great leadership is the, um, the IFSPT, the International Federation of Sports Physiotherapists, which is a WCPT subgroup. And, you know, so, so that is made up of, of member organisations um, in WCPT coming together as an international um, federation. And so that is a huge, you know, that's a huge core of volunteers who have, who are sports physiotherapists, but who have indicated that, you know, through their actions and volunteering within their own um, national associations and then as part of IFSPT, that's a whole volunteering core of people who are raising the standards of sports physical therapy worldwide and, you know, being advocates for the sports men and women in their field. And those are those are huge opportunities to provide leadership because what they're doing is they're creating um, educational opportunities, uh, defining competencies for sports physiotherapists, you know, having um, a very successful Congress. And, you know, the, the majority of people, in fact, I would say probably 95% of people that are involved in those organizations nationally and then internationally are doing it as volunteers and they are showing leadership. They are saying, you know, collectively we can help raise the standards of sports physiotherapy around the world. We can provide opportunities in countries where perhaps physiotherapists don't have the same opportunities that um, they have in, in other parts of the world. And that, you know, realistically, probably there are a small number of paid administrators probably some professional conference organizers, but really, effectively, that is a core of physiotherapy volunteers who are showing great leadership by stepping up and joining in and being volunteers. Emma, if we switch it up to entrepreneurship, because, again, physios work in entrepreneurial ways, and you said that was an important part of the course. Yes, yeah, so one of the things that we've done in our program, and, from, and, and certainly from, from what I learned on the, the master's program was, First of all, I, I, again, I was, I was of this sort of mistaken belief that entrepreneurs are born and there are quite a few very successful entrepreneurs in my family and I would look at them and say, oh gosh, you know, aren't they great? But actually what I learned on the program was, you know, the more we teach people about entrepreneurship, the more we highlight opportunities for entrepreneurship, um, the more sensitized people become to opportunities. And, you know, physiotherapists are incredibly creative on a day-to-day basis. They come with, up with all sorts of solutions um, for their patients and, so it's only a small step to bringing that beyond day-to-day practice for those people who might be interested. So one of the things that we do with our students is we get them um, in their final year to develop a business case for a new physiotherapy service. And we don't sort of go down the route of it having to be a for-profit service. It can be social entrepreneurship, and that's a whole area which really taps into a lot of the reasons why people become physiotherapists, which is to make a change in people's lives. So there's some great examples of um, of entrepreneurship in physiotherapy. And I think what's really interesting is if you look in the technology space, um, there's a lot of very, very creative technologists out there who need a physiotherapist, perhaps, to be the one who talks to them through the applications. Um, or the, the converse is that, in fact, there are physiotherapists with great ideas around how their technology can enable people to be more active. And what they need is to connect up with the technologists. So... Um, there's, you know, there's some, there's some great uh, opportunities for physiotherapists and actually learning about entrepreneurship, learning about writing a business case, learning about telling the story slightly differently, depending on who your audience is. If you're looking for funding, perhaps it's a very different story to if you're looking for a research grant. So, um, but, you know, entrepreneurship is, is something that we can learn about and it's something that we can be sensitized to do. And certainly in the social entrepreneurship model, I think that really can tap into um 
as I said, that that the, the driving force that many people come into physiotherapy for, which is to actually enable people to be better. And if someone's not quite with us on the social entrepreneurship, which is a relatively new term, can you illustrate? Mm-hmm. The, the social entrepreneurship space is around, I guess, taking the, the business model, but bringing it very much into a space which is about creating um, positive impact on the lives of people, whether it's educationally, through health, um, through various different uh, enterprises. So, and, and, and it's, I guess, it's, a, it's an area where perhaps physiotherapists would have a more comfort and perhaps would feel more aligned to from a va- from their from their personal values perspective. You know, I think that's really important that if you have very strong personal values around contributing to society, which many physiotherapists do, um, you know, and having a creative idea, that there are ways of doing it, and there are great supports out there as well for for exploring those options and getting the type of help that you need. What sort of things do you think make a good business, a good private practice physio business? making sure that the physiotherapists that work in the practice are well-educated, that they're supported in their continuing professional development, that they feel supported because, you know, a, a lot of the time physiotherapists in, 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 in private practice, you, you know, they, they perhaps don't have the same opportunities that physiotherapists working in the public service do in terms of educational opportunities. So creating a, a, a learning environment is probably very important and certainly that is something that I see in the, in the private practice that I go to, which is um, very supportive of the education of the, the, the private practitioners that work there. I guess, I mean, I would, I would always say, you know, be a part of your professional organization. Um, you know, in many parts of the world, um, you know, you have to be registered, you have to be state registered, but being a part of your professional organization and connected with your professional organization and the, the CPT opportunities that, that that provides is really important because certainly um, my sense is from some of the literature that's come out from Canada is that, that sense of, you know, professional competence um, is linked to being connected to your profession uh, and being engaged in, in your professional life. Many physiotherapy associations have a, a private practitioners organization or a business organization, which is designed specifically for physiotherapists working in private practice um, because that varies across the world. Um, but, you know, and, and of course, then those organizations to come together in the International Private Practice, uh, practice Association, so, which is a WCPT subgroup. So stay connected um, invest in, you know, ongoing education. And, you know, the bottom line is if the, if the people in your community don't know you're out there, I guess then the challenge is you're not going to actually have the patients. I'd say certainly from a paper that I just reviewed recently, word of mouth seems to be very important in terms of, um, you know, how people find out about physiotherapy services. So that's obviously really important. You know, the, the patient or the client experience is going to be really, really important from the minute that they engage with your practice. And as I say, certainly, you know, like any customer service experience, the more positive it is, the more likely the person is to come back. I guess one of the key things for physiotherapists in private practice is the extent to which people can self-refer to their practice. And, you know, across the world that differs, you know, it varies quite significantly. And, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we found ourselves in a place where every patient who wanted to self-refer to a private practice or indeed a physiotherapy service in the public sector was able to do that. And so um, I think that's some of the challenges. Um, you know, interestingly, even if direct access exists in some parts of the world, um, the reimbursement models make it difficult. So a reimburser, like an insurance company, requires that a physiotherapist, um, that a patient actually gets a third-party referral to the physiotherapist, even if, in fact, there's no requirement for it from a practice perspective or even from the patient's perspective. So 
I guess those are some of the challenges that the profession faces, um, not just, uh, you know, in individual practices, but as globally. And that's one of the key issues that emerged in our recent polls on the strategic plan was this concept of the extent to which direct access is, is available and, and the, the extent to which patients can actually self-refer. So um, pushing for those advocacy uh, initiatives in, in your own country will obviously have an impact on private practice. So education, getting involved, making sure that the service is a quality service and telling people about it. And I think that's where social media has a big part to play in terms of raising the profile of people's practice that the traditional, you know, looking at the telephone directory is is probably not, you know, done anymore and people find out about practices in different ways. Thanks for those thoughts on leadership, Emma, and I'll ask you to pause it there if you would so that I can close the first podcast. We'll encourage our listeners to follow your second part where I'm going to ask you about direct access highlights in the upcoming physio calendar and what it takes to be a great physio in a separate podcast. Thanks to all the BJSM listeners who have contributed over 800,000 downloads to the SoundCloud site and thanks to Jimmy Walsh uh, at Sports Osteopath who edits all the podcasts for us. 